every plant-based meal you eat, you don't have to be completely plant-based, but every meal you eat helps. It helps your body and it helps the planet. Welcome to the Wellness Hood Podcast, a place where curious individuals like you gather to explore the diverse realms of wellness. Here, we're going to share, learn, and hopefully inspire one another on our journey to reach our best version. Welcome to the Wellness Hood. How are you today? Join me in today's episode as we embark on a tantalizing journey into the world of sustainable plant-based dining. Meet and shot, the brilliant mind and heart behind Delhi's sun, Singapore's heaven for exquisite, sustainable fine dining. Anne's career shifts from law and a strategy consultant to Le Cordon Bleu. Her hobby turned into her business with the mission to craft delectable, sustainable cuisine that is as good for you as it is for the planet. Will uncovers Anne's philosophy and passion behind Delhi's sun, palate pleasing, planet conscious dishes. Learn about her meticulous ingredient selection, innovative cooking techniques, and sustainability practice that shapes her culinary creations. Stay tuned for insights and tips on embarking holistic health through plant-based dining. Get ready for a feast of culinary wisdom and sustainable living. Hi, Anne. Welcome to the Wellness Hood Podcast. How are you today? Hi, Monsi. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really well. It's Monday morning. It's sunny outside. And feeling really well. Excited to be here. Thank you. I am super thrilled to have you here, actually. And I think you're an exceptional guest, a plant-based cordon bleu chef who has mastered the art of creating amazing plant-based dining experience. And it's just, I've seen some of your plates and it just looks absolutely beautiful, but not only look tasty, as well, a fantastic way to nourish your body and soul. I cannot wait to deep dive into this conversation. So to kick things off, introduce yourself, please. Tell us more about you, your journey, where you come from. Happy to do that. So I'm currently living in Singapore and I've been in Asia since 96. So I really feel that Asia is home. I was born in the Netherlands and by the age of five, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be sailing on one of these large container vessels and see the world. And by the time you're 15... I had no clue anymore what I wanted to do. And I ended up going to law school, which gave me this broad base of being able to do analytics and all of that. So I started my career, actually, in the Netherlands as an in-house counsel. And after a couple of years with a really interesting firm, we set up a venture capital. And then I decided to do my own office and left for Vietnam in 96, wrote a book on the legal aspects of foreign investment in Vietnam. And while I was there, I made a huge career change. I, rather than being a lawyer, I became much more of a strategy consultant and so advising companies on the market entry strategies. Met my husband in Vietnam, so that also changed my life. He got offered a job in Hong Kong. I stayed on in Vietnam for another year, but then felt that I was missing out on what was happening in more developed markets. So I joined him as well in Hong Kong. And that's where I made a real career change. I went back to school. I did an executive MBA and became much more of a strategy consultant. So that was career number two. And currently, I'm in career number three. 
Because during the pandemic, as many of us, was like tired of watching a screen and having no contact with anyone else apart from looking at Zoom and Teams and telephone conversations. So I don't want to do this anymore. And then I went to see a couple of headhunters because I was scared of not being able to have a job. And they said, if you don't want to do a job like strategy consultant uh, running a large team, then why don't you just take a few months off and, and decide what you want to do? That's how basically the Lisa Hassan was born because I was a vegan already or a plant-based person, as I prefer to say. And I had to learn more about how to make really delicious food and not leave it with hummus and falafel as everyone thinks that you eat when you're only eating plant-based. So that was the idea of learning more about how to proper cook plant-based food. So I first did a few online courses because it was still in the middle of the pandemic. And after that, I went to Le Cordon Bleu when it was great to travel again. Because everything you do, I had cooked for friends and family and everyone loved it. But having no professional experience, so that's not a good base to start if I ever want to do something more with this in a professional way. So that's why I decided to do Le Cordon Bleu. And going back to school has helped me enormously by now running Delis Assam. How amazing. From a lawyer to helping a strategy to others to Delis Assam, right? And only food, not only a beautiful switch to your culinary background, but also you start embracing the world of plant-based cuisine. So tell us more about it. Why this journey and why specifically on plant-based? So there's actually two main drivers. One is that I don't come from a culinary family at all. My mom didn't really like to cook. And as I said, I was born in the Netherlands. The Netherlands culinary tradition is not that exciting. So you have a bit of meat, a bit of fish, you have boiled potatoes, and you have a veg. So I, opposite some of the great chefs who were inspired by their mothers and their grandmothers, I wasn't, but somehow I've always enjoyed cooking. But one of the things that my mom always said, at some stage, she lived very close to a butcher and she heard the animals go in and screaming when they were slaughtered. So meat was never a huge component of our food. And I honestly, I didn't really like it. Very early on, I decided not to eat meat anymore, but I was still eating fish and eating cheese. And over time, you realize, one, how unhealthy it is, but also how cruel it is to animals. But health was really one of the main reasons that I, at some stage, said, this is it. I'm not going to eat any fish or dairy or meat products anymore. And that was just over three years ago that I skipped everything. And the way I work is just do it overnight. If you decide to do something, then you just do it. And you're not going to think for half a year on, on how you're going to do that. The other interesting thing, and that has more to do with climate change. In my last role, I was actually working in the oil and gas industry. And we were helping companies to transition through more sustainable energy but the industry was constantly hammered on the impact on climate change. And of course, carbon fossil fuels are detrimental to the climate, but it's not the only thing. And people don't really realize how much impact there is from animal agriculture on climate change. 
And it's not being addressed by the politicians around the world. It's something swept under the carpet. But to me, it was really also a driver to really look into how much is animal agriculture influencing climate change. And it's actually as bad as transportation is. So to me, that were two main drivers looking at becoming plant-based was became a real mission for me. Fantastic. And I think two great reasons. Obviously, the health of oneself, but ultimately the health of the planet, because they go hand in hand, to be honest. In terms of the health, tell us a little bit more about what you think from an individual perspective. Obviously, everybody's got different reasons, but from a healthy benefits perspective, what is the tips? Because I know that, for example, people is a bit aware of, no, I need to eat meat, right? Because we need protein. Now there's this craze about protein, but you can get protein from vegetables. So what's your view on that, Dan? Yeah, so proteins, the question I got asked the most is, how do you get your proteins? There's there's lots of proteins in the plants that we eat, but just don't eat the same plants every day, all the time. People ask me, but then do I need to eat two kg of beans? No, you don't. You eat the rainbow because if you eat the rainbow, all the different colors of fruit and veggies that's where you get your protein. So we don't have to worry that much about protein. All the physicians and studies, they indicate that as people, we do get enough proteins. What people really need to worry about is fiber and phytonutrients. And they do not sit in meat or dairy, they sit in plants. They are preventing diseases, whether it's dementia or cancer. That has been proven over and over again through multiple studies that fiber and phytonutrients are more health beneficial than the dairy and the meat. So that's what people need to focus. And very often, so people oh, plant-based, vegan or vegetarian, they're still fat, they're still obese. And I don't counter it because it's true. A lot of people that are vegan or vegetarian, they still eat unhealthy food. And it's that fine line between eating healthy and eating food that is more prone to get diseases is the fact whether it's whole food or not. And that's when my focus is whole plant-based food. It's not processed. It's not mock meat. It's just, I think the most process thing that I serve is tofu. And then I get the question, but tofu is ruining the rainforest. It's not soya beans. Yes, there is deforestation for soya beans, but 98% of those soya beans are not consumed by humans. They're being consumed by animals to then feed us. So over the years, it's like people try to poke you and it's, oh, but it's unhealthy and you are contributing as much to deforestation. No, it's not true. And to controvert another myth is tofu is basically really healthy and not as many of the, the skeptics say that it's unhealthy for people. You can eat a lot of tofu and still be super, super healthy. I love it. I think there's really great insights in there and just a lot of education. I think it's going back to one point was the health, but the other one is the planet. It's incredible how many agriculture, and I don't have the stats in my hand, but I've done quite a lot of research on that as well. But it was just, it's a ton of numbers on how people is not aware that most of agriculture, way part of it goes for the animals feeding. So there's a lot of conversations about if we all consume a little bit less meat, that agriculture could go to humans. It could be better quality, could be just so, yes, and that would yeah. already be helping. 
if you think about the number of calories that you get from eating eggs or dairy or meat is a lot less than what the animals are consuming. That's it's a fraction, basically, of what they consume and what you get out of it. And then let alone how much water and land is needed just to produce feed for animals. That's why we basically say go lower on the food chain and skip feeding the animals, use the products to directly feed people. Because by 2050, we will simply not have enough production to feed the entire world. And that's a big concern. No, totally agree. And then you see as well an opportunism. All this data, which is quite shocking. And then is when we're seeing a lot of like the meat that it's plant-based, which is a whole different segment. And I don't know how much we want to dip into that. But then there's a controversy on all that alternative versus wholesome non-processed food. And mm. I think that's another big dilemma as well. It's trying to do good for the planet. But is it that good for humans? Unfortunately not. But... If you look at it from an opportunistic point of view, a lot of people are more focused on plant-based food because of their own health, but also concerned about climate change. So that is definitely increasing. And of course, if you look around the world, there's so much more plant-based food available in the supermarkets, on, on the shelves. Is it all healthy? No. And it's highly processed. There's loads of chemicals in it. It's like a burger, a Beyond Burger, doesn't grow from the soil. It's still unhealthy. But on the other hand, I wouldn't go against it if people consume less animals. I personally would never, ever serve it or eat it. Well, yeah, I agree. Let's change a little bit of gears. And I'd like to understand a little bit more about your experience in Le Cordon Bleu. Mm. And specifically, you did the plant-based course. So I assume that you guys, that what they're teaching there is like the classic Cordon Bleu dishes, but obviously creating it with plant bases. I don't know if that's correct. And I'd love you to take us through. So what you learn, what you enjoy the most, what was the most challenging, and how did that go? Yeah, sure. I really went to Le Cordon Bleu to have the experience in a professional kitchen. As I mentioned earlier, I used to cook for friends and family and that's, oh, have a glass of wine and we cook a few things. Here, Le Cordon Bleu was one great experience. I really loved it. You learn about food, health and safety. In my case, I was together with 12 other people in the kitchen and you learn how to respect each other. And even if you, so, Opening an oven, you had to communicate that. And if, if you were going to wash your knife, you would say behind you with a knife. And was, that was an experience that I never had and thought I, I needed it. We worked with amazing chefs. What I really appreciate is you can look in at a recipe in a cookbook and get your inspiration from there. But they were really challenging you to think through what combines well with this. So you learn about the different flavors and textures and how you create that whole experience. I thought that was just amazing. And plating, food needs to be beautiful as well. Of course, it needs to taste perfect, but it needs to look beautiful as well because people eat with their eyes. So there was a lot of attention to that as well. And I really enjoyed that because you're creating pieces of art. And some of the chefs, particularly the pastry chefs, were very specific because we had to follow how they were plating. If you would have some of the savory dishes, I was like, be creative, 
create your own, do whatever you like, but it needs to look beautiful. And that has been really teaching me a lot. I loved working with the chefs. The total class was 40 people, but then we were divided into groups to go into the kitchen. From all walks of life, there were professional chefs already, and there were people like me who were looking for a career change. I was the oldest one. So there was a sort of 40-year difference with the youngest person, but it all melted well. We had great experiences. You were asking me also what I thought was most challenging is the time, the timing. It's like you have to be very precise. You serve your dish between that and that time. And it's incredible how sometimes preparing things take so long. I thought that was the biggest challenge. For example, our exam is you start with five minutes intervals. Everyone gets allocated a time slot. So for example, I had to submit my dish at five to 12. If I serve three minutes too early, they won't look at it for the three minutes. So it gets cold. If you serve too late, they're going to start deduct points which means that if you are five minutes late with serving your dish, you get zero. That was stress. (laughs) I understand why, because if you run a fine dining restaurant, you need to be able to have all your dishes ready at the same time. Yeah, I thought that was the biggest challenge. But overall, I loved the experience and it was really intense because sometimes you would start early in the morning, you would work until 9.30 in the evening, But it was an experience I would recommend everyone. If they're interested in food, yeah, go for it. After it's in my list, I think I need to wait for my children to grow a little bit more and then I can disappear for a few months and I'll be there (laughs) cooking. (laughs) I would love to. And it's beautiful as well how you took that amazing experience. And now what you're doing is you're hosting this limited seat dinner experience, right, in your own home. Tell us more about it because it's a really intimate setting and it must have contributed to a fantastic experience to the guests from a physical, emotional, but just tell us more. What, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, so it's a private kitchen. So the whole concept is that people walk and we then discuss what would you like to do? A lot of the guests basically say, oh, I'm happy with the omakase style. You just decide what you're going to serve us. So they know that if it's lunch, it's four to five courses. If it's dinner, it's six to seven courses. And my focus really on serving fine dining food. So it needs to, it's not that you would have a family dinner or something, or you just put a few bowls on the table. It's all individual. You played it. And that's why at the moment limited it to 10 people. And then I'm so super privileged to live in a beautiful landed property in Singapore, where we have lots of plums in the garden. So it's it's shielded from the street and it gives this really private experience. And that is what people are saying as well is, first of all, many of us live in an apartment. We don't have the luxury of seeing a landed property. And then the setting is nice, rain or shine. We can sit on a large terrace. So you have the outdoor experience. And it's the, the privacy that you have as well. So you get a restaurant service, but you're basically in the privacy of someone's house. And you can tailor it, give you one experience where the guests ask for, oh, we would like to have Thai food. That sounds really nice. And then I get the individual request. 
There's one person who is gluten-free. There's one person who doesn't eat rice. There's one person who can't eat spicy. I was like, okay. And you continue to accommodate really so that even though you serve the same food, then everyone has the experience of eating something delicious. It's the level of tailoring that you can do, which makes it fun. And for me, basically, every time a challenge because Thai food and no rice. I solved that by giving them cauliflower rice. So when the person who actually hosting the lunch said, oh, that's a great idea. We all want to have that. So it's something that you co-create with your guests and that makes it really fun. How beautiful. Two things in here. One, I love how you customize it. And almost like I can see your face of enjoyment on like a puzzle. Let's solve this mystery and make sure everybody's happy. And secondly, your place. I've been there and it's just a really nice setting to imagine sitting down and having that beautiful customized experience. Let's jump into the heart of your cuisine. So tell us a bit more about what ingredients and cooking techniques that you employ to create this beautiful gourmet plant-based experience. I really created the Lisa Sam to have people experience how delicious and tasty and creative plant-based food can be. So that was really the base. It's make it healthy, but also at the same time, it's really healthy. So very often I get one person who is vegan or vegetarian, and then the group of friends or family they are inviting are not. They're like, okay, what are we going to have? And how is this ever going to be nice? I can talk about that later, but they're very often so surprised by what they get. My philosophy is really, and it's a little bit harder in Singapore to get seasonal food, but it's to use whatever is in season, what is available from local stores, from local farmers. And to, I talked about the rainbow, is you have different components so that you make sure that people get the nutrients. And then it's just be super creative with what you would also be when you have meat or fish. You can make it in different ways. And honestly, I feel that I can be much more creative with plants Because the expectations are really different. If you serve fish, it's going to be in a certain way. If you serve meat, it needs to be in a certain way. And with fruits and plants, you have endless opportunities to be creative with them. I smoke them, I cut them in different slices. For example, I do a beetroot, which I smoke, and then I slice them very thin. So they look beautiful, purple on a plate with salad. And then, oh, is this a gazpacho? No, it's not. It's beetroot. <laughs> so that's mm. how I, I try to find the local ingredients and yeah, just put your creative hat on and work with it. I, I can see certainly a lot of innovation and artistic skills, as you say. Think about the how, but also present it nicely. Where do you get your inspiration from? For What inspires you? I look at cookbooks to get inspired. I look at what other chefs are doing. So I get a lot of inspiration from that. And I do really look at the different cuisines from all over the world. People think Japanese food is all about fish. And it's not. Is I can create entire Japanese meals without meat, fish. And even to the extent that one of my friends was at some stage was saying, before I went to Le Cordon Bleu, are you still doing that plant-based stuff? Uh, yeah, what do you think you have been eating the entire evening? No, can't be true. Those sushis, yeah, those sushis. 
We're actually with watermelon and with red bell pepper and with eggplant. So all Japanese inspired. I look at that a lot as well. Korean, Thai, but also Mexican, Ethiopian has a lot of plant-based food. So that's why I've been traveling to all these countries as well. That's why I get a lot of my inspiration. But I do look at TV programs where chefs are challenging themselves and then cookbooks and all of that. I sometimes say I feel like I'm in in a chemistry class because I'm trying a bit of this and a bit of that. And I find it fun. I have friends who panic when they do not follow the exact recipe line and I'm opposite. And that's where I get all the different inspiration from. And people sometimes as well, you talk to people, have you tried this? Or you should really, okay, always open to learn something new because I think that's the biggest challenge that, oh, but I can't make it tasty. Well, there are some ingredients that I wasn't aware of when I started eating plant-based food because they were never part of what you were cooking with. So that's also reading a lot, magazines, it's um, online, of course, there's so many media channels where you get it's a full-time job. <laughs> I can imagine, but a nice one. Traveling around the world, discovering other cuisines, I think it's an amazing way to get inspired. And when you talk about your ingredients, obviously we're in Singapore, we're not, not in the South Hemisphere or North Hemisphere, so that seasonality is not as such. But you have a criteria on how you pick your ingredients or sustainability that you're looking after. And you are mentioning like sometimes you use your own papayas that you grow in your garden. So where do they come from and what are you looking for? Yes, I try to source as much as I can locally here in Singapore means basically Malaysia as well, because there's a lot of the fresh products coming from Malaysia. That is one. Then nothing processed. All fresh ingredients for fruits and plums. Sometimes I use a can and there is this misconception that using things from a can is not as healthy, which is it's not true. But it's simply because there's not things are not available in Singapore. And then I have a whole variety of sources that I go to for a certain mushroom. There's a charity here that is making these lion mushrooms. So if I have enough guests then I would go there and support them or you go to local markets where you know that I have certain products so I do not have one supply source and I very often do my own shopping as well just to feel and see if it's fresh enough and if something is not available so you go with a mindset of these are the things that I need to have but if it's not available then you just shift on the spot which makes it harder if someone has asked specifically for a dish and that's why I love to cook the omakase style myself and to work with the ingredients that are available in the market. So beautiful, and I think everybody's getting a really good feel how Delis Asan is an absolutely customized and really carefully curated experience, mm. right, of yourself from thinking on what they want, meet all the requirements to go and pick it to the market or whatever supplier just to be the best. How beautiful is that? As we wrapping up, could you share some practical tips, any advice for our listeners who want to incorporate that, some for health, some for the planet, whatever the reason is. But I'm sure everybody's interested to get more in tune with a plant base at home. So what would be your recommendation or how, what tips can you share? Yeah, so I think the first tip to share is that plant-based foods don't consider it as boring or complicated because some of the dishes that I make they require a few days to really marinate and everything but it doesn't have to be complicated you can 
put something on the table in 30 minutes. It's a change in mindset. That is something that is really hard for people. It's all also not always encouraged by the environment where people are saying, oh, plant-based or vegan, that's tasteless, it's boring. So it requires a bit of rethinking. And that it's you have these ads in the US where people say, oh, it's not masculine to eat plant-based food. It's nonsense. It's like most athletes, a lot of the Olympic athletes, they basically only eat plant-based food. Don't feel intimidated. Do a bit of rethinking. Think of a large veggie as a main course. So to replace that with, say, an eggplant or a carrot or a zucchini, take that as the main course and then marinate it, you cut it, you prepare, you pan fry, you roast, whatever way you want to do with it, like you would do with a piece of meat. Then you add some protein to it, whether it's beans or chickpeas, whatever. Add a sauce. Don't forget the sauce. It's not unhealthy. Everyone needs his sauces. And you put some crushed on it or some herbs. So think of a large veggie as your main course. That makes it easy. This is not to promote it, but there's a book called Vegan Love. And it's doing exactly that. So many of my friends have bought that book now already (laughs) because it makes it easy. You can do something in 30 minutes. So that is definitely one. Buy seasonal, whatever you can. That is nice. Have a few dishes that are your go-to dishes. And if you make them a few times, it just makes it easier and you're getting more and more familiar with it. And like I do myself, Look at inspiration to other countries. For example, the Mediterranean cuisine, they have so many lovely dishes that are easy to replicate. And get your imagination beyond hummus, salad and falafel. There's so much more to it. So be inspired or otherwise, I'm happy to give more tips. And I do cooking classes as well. It's really funny because I, some people come together with someone who's vegetarian or just has been here before. And then they're super sceptical. This what am I going to eat? So I had this group of ladies. I was serving them mousse au chocolat, like chocolate mousse. And one of the ladies was, every dish that I've been eating has been absolutely superb. But how can you make a chocolate mousse without cream and dairy? So you use silken tofu? No. Really? And do you give cooking classes? Can I please come and learn from you? This is so you you convince people by really serving things that are super tasty and creamy and whatever. And you amaze them by that there's, there's really no dairy in it. It's oh, even an egg, right? Some people put ah, yeah, but you, you just so, yeah. practice and listen, I have dishes and my husband is always on the short stick of that. Nine out of ten they are really delicious and then sometimes it's not so good. <laughs> So it's practice as well. And just be creative. I think that's cooking overall. I do have flops too. Like you don't need to be only on vegan. It's like anything. Nobody does everything perfectly right. (laughs) So no difference in there. You talk about sauces. Could you share what's your favorite sauce? One of the sauces that you think it's amazing. It gives a beautiful flavor. You put it wet on top of a cauliflower or an eggplant. I don't know if you can share like the quick recipe too. I think that'll be lovely. Sure. The really easiest one that I make is with so there's onion and garlic, then there's carrot and there's a few cashews 
and miso. And of course, salt and pepper and a little bit of chili I always put in. You put that all in a blender. You get this amazing bright orange sauce. And it tastes wonderful with you have a slice of roasted celery arc. Or one time I made it for my husband's birthday lunch. I had a large group of friends. So here I didn't plate everything. I put a large bowl of what someone said. Oh my gosh, this is the best mac and cheese that I've ever had. It's like mac and cheese. Okay, so my carrot miso sauce with little elbows made from rice, not even macaroni. Someone calls it mac and cheese. So it's okay, good. So it's such a versatile sauce. So you can put it as a beautiful little sauce on a dish or oh, you, you make your own macaroni. So that's the other one. That amazes people that if you have your dried shiitake mushrooms, for example, you soak them to put them in a product. Then I very often put that water in the rice that I serve with uh, mushrooms. It gives it an amazing flavor. That's the other thing. I don't throw stuff away. So if you want to have beautiful slices of a carrot, the remaining parts go in the carrot miso sauce. I make broth with, so vegetable broth with the leftovers of, of vegetables. Yeah, I have blue peas growing in the garden, those beautiful blue flowers. Put that on a dish, it looks exquisite. So it's those little things that you can do as well to make it more fun and creative and tasty. Really nice. I need to ask you that. I'm going to try that carrot sauce. Do you <laughs> roast the carrot first? So is it cooked or you steam it? Or how you prepare the carrots before so, you mix it all? So you do your onions, then your garlic. Then I put the raw carrots, thinly sliced, put them in, then fry them for a few minutes. Then I put some broth on it together with the cashew nuts and boil it for a few more minutes and then add the miso. Nice. So everything like sauté on the pan and then you just blend it. Now I get yeah. it. Okay. Really nice. Good tip. I'll try it and I'll let you know. It sounds lovely. Yeah. I have one more question for you, Anne, today. And it's a question that I ask to everybody that comes here and beautifully like you share your time. Do you have any daily wellness practice? Anything that you do every day that makes you feel better? Yes. So I start my day every day with a glass of lemon juice. So it's lemon juice and lukewarm water. So that is my routine. And even to the extent that when I was still traveling a lot, I had my little squeezer with me. So I would be able to do that just in every hotel room that I stayed. Something that I can only do when I'm at home, I have a vegetable and fruit juice every morning as my breakfast. And that is usually one garlic. And no, you don't taste it and you don't smell it. But garlic is so super healthy and then with lemon juice green apple and there's always something like kale and if we have a ripe papaya in the garden then it's papaya from the garden or otherwise a pineapple or something so that's how i start my day that's our daily routine and i play a lot of sports i walk every day just keeps you healthy that sounds really good is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you would like to say? And have we missed anything in our conversation that you would like to share? No, I think we covered really a broad ground. The last thing that I really would want to say is that every plant-based meal you eat, you don't have to be 
completely plant-based, but every meal you eat helps. It helps your body and it helps the planet. So you don't have to make radical choices to go from 100% eating meat and fish to 100% plant-based. Every little step helps. So that's what be my advice to people who want to live a more healthy life. That's exactly what we're doing, actually. We haven't done the leap yet to fully plant-based, but definitely four to five meals a week are plant-based. And it's a way to... I feel good with it. One day I'll do the leap, but my kids, I don't know if they're ready yet. Because so. <laughs> we cook for everybody here. It's been an absolute delight and really enjoy this conversation. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Monsi. You too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Wellness Hub today. If you're as intrigued by today's conversation as we are and want to dive deeper or connect with our guests, visit our website at www.thewellnesshub.com. There, you'll find links to our guest work, articles, and ways to connect with us on social media. Your thoughts, questions, and suggestions are essential to shaping our future episodes. Let's co-create a space that resonates with your interests and empowers your wellness journey. We truly appreciate your support and can't wait to have you back with us for our next chat. Until then, take care and consider adding one little thing to your life that makes you feel better.